want you to open your Bibles this morning. We'll tell you where we're going in a minute, but many of you know that um, in this past few weeks, we've been talking about the victory that Jesus won. You know, a lot of it was for even, even at Christmas time, we talked about that victory that, that began and, and, and uh, really, really became a reality as soon as Jesus' fit, feet hit the planet. But that as he walked it out, that victory became final and complete when he died on the cross and rose again. And so here we are, and uh, as, as believers, as, as the body of Christ, we're left with the question, what is, what is our place now? Because we're in between the cross and the return of Jesus Christ, and we look around and we recognize that things are still broken. I've talked to people that said, I think we're living in the millennial kingdom right now. And I said, that's a real bummer. <laughs> because, boy, this is as good as it gets. I don't know. The scripture talks about a day when Jesus will return and rule with a rod of iron. Most of the stuff that goes on right now on the planet Earth, we're not going to get away with at that time. No. Ruling with a rod of iron means he gets his will done. That's right. <laughs> Jesus said to us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason you have to pray that is that we're in that, in that in-between time right now where his will is being done through us, but his will is not being done all over the planet. That, that might be something that messes with your theology, but I'll tell you the truth. The scripture says it is God's will that no one perish. And yet the scripture also says that people are perishing. So you have to live with those two realities, that, that there is the will of God, and then there is the, the will of man. And you say, well, isn't God sovereign? Absolutely he is. But God didn't create a bunch of robots, did he? No, he didn't. God could have created Adam so that Adam did not have the ability to disobey. So that Adam had no choice but to love him and no choice but to obey him. But God gave Adam the choice. Yes, he and he's given you that same choice. The Lord said to the Israelites, I set before you life and death, blessing or curse. Choose life that you may live. Now that seems simple, doesn't it? And everybody answers the right question if you say, do you want life or death? But see, their choice of life or death was not just at that moment when they got to say, yeah, I choose life. It was in every decision they'd make from then on was the way they talked, the way they lived, the way they, they thought. And so Jesus has said to us, he said, follow me. You know, there are people that, that teach that, that, um, there's, there's, that, that there are a bunch of people unsaved out there. And quite frankly, they'll never be saved and God doesn't really want them. And I know that sounds weird to you, but there are people that say God, God knows they won't be saved and he's not after them. Now, God knows who will and won't be saved. Absolutely. God sees everything. He's not surprised by anything. And yet Jesus said this. He said, if I be lifted up, now we use that for like, let's hold a praise gathering and lift Jesus up. But, but the scripture says he was talking about the way he was going to die. So if I get lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. There, there are those that teach that, that God only draws some. But Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men. However, not all will be saved. Not all will be saved. You have to receive that gift. 
So I'm not here to, to tell you in any way that you control God or that God is, is not in control. God has no power. God has all the power. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign, and yet he, by his own will, has given you the freedom of will. And he's given you a role to play. Let me just, let me just challenge some old thoughts. There are many that would tell you that, or you may grew up thinking this, that if it's God's will, it'll happen. You know, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And everybody kind of just says, well, everything happens for a reason. I guess this is supposed to happen. There's a f- scripture in, 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 in the New Testament that famously says this. It's in the book of James. The prayer of a righteous man has much effect. It changes things. The prayer of a righteous person changes things. So let's take that righteous man out of the picture. If that righteous man or woman is not praying, then can we say that it would have ended up the same no matter if they're praying or not? No, because it has much effect means there's a difference when you pray. You know, the whole reason you have a Bible is because God is telling you to do something. He's giving you something to live by. Now, you, you can pick up that Bible and you can read it and you can choose not to do any of it. And how many of you know that, that uh, just reading the Bible or sticking it up to your face and hoping it rubs all over you doesn't change your reality? Jesus talked about two people and they both came to his meeting. He talked about the man that built the house on the sand and the man that built his house on the rock. And he's, the man who built his house on the sand wasn't some guy who never heard Jesus. He said they both came and they both heard the message. One person did something with it. Now that man who built his house on the sand, Jesus said he heard, but he didn't do what I said. So when the rain and the wind came, his house fell down. Now, I suppose that man, when his house falls down, could go around telling all his friends, God wanted my house to to fall down so he could teach me a lesson. I guess I was supposed to have my house fall down. But if you go back to what Jesus said, the reason his house fell down wasn't that God willed it to fall down, but that he didn't listen to what Jesus said. Now, not everything that happens in your life is your fault. So don't take, my, don't take me saying this to say, well, if you had an accident, you must have done something wrong. That's the other extreme. I'm tired of people going into hospitals and telling them, what did you do in your life that caused this to happen? You know, we do have an enemy. There is, there is an enemy that, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't that right? And you don't see Jesus going around blaming people for their sickness. In fact, the disciples tried it. Who did, the, who did something wrong? This man was born blind. So did he sin or did his parents sin? Well, of course, how did he sin? He was born blind. And there's not a lot of fetal sin that I've heard about. I don't know. Maybe you pregnant women disagree with me and you say, I don't know. It felt like my kid was sinning. I mean, that kick was really hard. But, but I mean, how, what in the world could the kid have done in utero that would, have, that would have warranted him being blind? Of course, he didn't sin. Well, then did his parents sin? Well, that's just a terrible thing, isn't it? That God, the gracious and compassionate, is going to say, well, your parents did something wrong, but I'm not going to punish them. I'm going to make you blind. Jesus said, neither. But that the glory of God may be shown, this man's going to receive his sight. So, uh, I don't want anybody to go around saying, well, it must have been your fault that, you didn't, that this happened to you or whatever. But I also don't want people going around saying, hmm, well, I know I did everything right, so it must be God that's doing this to me. Sometimes it is my fault. 
There's plenty of times it is my fault. Whether it's my fault or not, the best thing I can do is now submit myself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from me. We, we have read over and over throughout the New Testament how Jesus sent his disciples out. And in fact, in Mark 16, he, he doesn't just apply it to his 12 or his, even his 70. He applies it to everyone that will believe his word through the disciples' teaching. He said, in my name, these believers will lay hands on the sick. They'll cast out evil spirits. They'll speak in other tongues. And he goes on and he says, all of these happen. These signs will follow them that believe. That's the qualification. Them that believe. And so if you say here, I'm a believer, then he says, all these things will follow you. These signs will follow you. And he doesn't put a time limit on it. He doesn't say, that will all happen until John dies. Then I'm, I'm done. No more of that. Nowhere in the scripture does it put an expiration date on that. He just says these signs will follow them that believe. But notice that he says, in my name, they will do this. And we're going we're gonna to spend the next month or two talking about that name of Jesus, the authority of the believer. Because, and, and the reality is it's not because I want you to have a fatter head. I don't want you to just have a little bit more education. It's because as, as our churches and, and as the church in Lloydminster and the church in Canada is coming to a place where, where we're, we're, we're stepping out in faith and realizing that there is a city that needs Jesus It's going to take more than you just knowing something. It's going to take you stepping out and saying, God, what do you want me to do in your name? And you're going to have to have the confidence that if there's someone sick, you don't just bring them to church. I mean, you can bring them to church and they'll be healed. Absolutely. But but you can pray for them right there. If somebody needs to be born again, you don't take them to the professional Christian. Oh, I'm going to take them to the guy that gets paid to be a Christian. I don't get paid to be a Christian. We're all believers. Thank God. You know, it's, it's so often somebody would say, well, this person's really struggling. I think they're being oppressed by evil spirits. And I wonder if you could put it, find it in your schedule at some point to come over to their house and pray with them. Well, absolutely. I got no problem with that. But if you're in their house right now and you're with them right now, why can't you take authority? Because you're a believer. And so here we're going we're gonna to study that. But before we get into the specifics, in the next following weeks, we'll talk about specific. We'll talk about the act of walking out the authority of Jesus Christ and, and the authority that he's given his body. Because you know it's his authority, but he's entrusted it to his people. Because he says it very clearly, I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you the authority of my name. I'm giving you my spirit. What does it mean for him to give us his name? Is his name just a sound that, that, that we say and demons quake? I grew up thinking, oh, I didn't grow up thinking this all the time, but there was a period of my life where I thought, you know, if you could program a robot to say Jesus, demons would quake. <laughs> Did you know that when Jesus walked the earth, there were a lot of other people named Jesus walking the earth? In fact, when, when we first had Moses... I had a lot of, and these were strangers, nobody here. I had people that I just met, and they say, tell me about your family. And I said, well, I've got a wife named Tia, I've got a son named Moses. And they go, whoa, Moses, big name. And for some reason, they always felt, they always felt compelled to tell me. I, two people did this, like in, in, in quick succession. They said, Moses, ooh, that's a big name. I think, I think naming a kid Jesus is too far, though. And they would always say that, like, like that was our next step. <laughs> Like we were just testing the waters with Moses. 
and we're going to see if that flew, and then we're going to take <laughs> We've got the old covenant now. Now we're moving in with Jesus. I was like, I think it's too far. I think it's too much. Well, I didn't tell them. You know a lot of people named Josh, don't you? Joshua is the same as Yeshua. It's the same name. There's a ton of people walking around, maybe not a ton, but there's a lot of people walking around when Jesus was born who had the same name as him. In fact, that's why everybody, that's why in, the, in, our, in our New Testament Bible, they, they use the Jesus, which comes from the Greek interpretation of his name. That's why that's used is because if you just used his Hebrew name, it, you'd be confused whether they're talking about Joshua or this Jesus, you know, that, that would be confusing. And so we call him Jesus. I've had people come to me and say, your prayers aren't being heard because you're calling him by his wrong name. His name is Yeshua Hamashiach. Well, praise the Lord. All right, cool. You could say it in Hebrew. That's awesome. I'm all for that. But do you really think that God's in heaven going, nope, not wrong name. <laughs> pronounced it wrong. I've gone in other countries, and they've pronounced my name really weird. And I don't say, I don't know who you're talking to. So I used to think it was a sound. It was a bunch of syllables put together that made the demons quake. But I'll tell you, there's a lot more to the name of Jesus than a sound that, I mean, thank God his name means the Lord is salvation. But we've come, to, we don't understand, you know, even the, the concept of a name like they did in, in, in the times of the Bible. We name people, we name our kids something that sounds cool. I mean, when I worked at, at a bookstore, we had a book on the shelf that was baby names and it was, it was sorted by, by sound. It wasn't, it wasn't about the, the meaning, it was... People were looking for a sound, so I like the way this sounds. I'm not coming down on you for it, but, but in the scripture, a name carried more than just a sound. It was, it was the meaning. So the reason that, that the Lord was named Jesus, Yeshua, was because his name meant the Lord saves, and that name mattered. But even beyond that, when the scripture talks about someone's name, it's not just talking about the sound you make when you want them to pay attention to you. It's not just talking about a noise we make that, that, that is attached to a person. It's talking about who that person is, their authority. It's talking about their rank. It's talking about the reputation. The scripture says in Proverbs, a good name is to be valued above all like these gems and gold and silver. You have a good name. He's not saying you have a cool name that everybody likes to say. When he says a good name, he's talking about who you are, what people think of you, your reputation, your legacy. And in, this, in, 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 in these ancient times where our Bible was written, someone's name might change. And, and you know, when someone became king, their name changed. And it wasn't about them calling them something different. It was about the fact that their name contained their rank, contained who they were. So I want to read you something in the book of Hebrews, because today we're going to talk specifics in the next coming weeks. We're going to talk very practical. But today I want to, I want to pull the, the, the image back. And we're just going to talk about how Jesus Christ, through his victory, inherited his name. And a lot of people don't talk about this, but this is foundational to you understanding how precious it is that he has entrusted you with his name. Do you know there's nowhere in the scripture that I can find where it tells you to use the name of Jesus? doesn't say use my name. 
says, pray in my name. Ask in my name. Do this in my name. See, using his name sounds like a magic spell, doesn't it? Now, I don't have a problem if you say use the name of Jesus. I don't have a problem with that because I understand what you mean. But I, I think there's a distinction you need to make. This is not an abracadabra. It's not a seal that you can put on the end of a prayer and somehow magically your prayer will come true no matter what you prayed. Praying in the name of Jesus means praying in his authority. And that prayer is taken by God as if Jesus Christ had prayed it himself. If I sent, and I've used this illustration before, but if I sent somebody, one of you, and I sent Randy to the hardware store in my name. Or forget the hardware store, that's too little. Let's say we sent him to the car dealership in my name. I said, Randy, we need to pick up a vehicle. I need a vehicle, and you know what? Um, they know me there. I've got an account there. You go and, and you pick out this type of vehicle. You do it in my name. Randy's not using his money. He's not using his influence. He's going in my name. If, even if they don't know who he is, if they know who I am, that's what matters. When he goes there, and he purchases a vehicle. He's not using his money. He's using my money. He's doing it in my name. Now, if Randy goes to the, to the auto store and decides, no, I'd rather have a scooter, suddenly he might be using my name, but he's not acting in my name anymore, is he? He's not going as my representative because he's gone from my will to his will. As believers, when we pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying as if Jesus himself is praying. And do you believe that Jesus gets his prayers answered? Do you believe that God hears him? You have to know how valuable it is that when you speak to evil spirits in the name of Jesus and they flee, they're not running away from you. They're running away from that, that authority that is in the name of Jesus. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 says this. Hebrews is a study in contrast. It's, it's a study of good and perfect, good and better. Because Hebrews is talking, well, anybody take a guess who Hebrews was written to? <laughs> if you said Hebrews, there's candy at the back for you. No, I can't make a promise I can't keep. No, but Hebrews, yes, is written to Hebrew people. So it's written... To people that had a very good understanding of the old covenant. And the whole letter is talking about how the old was good, but the new is perfect and better. How our old high priests were good, but we have a, a, a perfect high priest now. The beginning of the chapter addresses something that was taking place amongst the Jewish people, which was the exaltation of angels. In fact, in the time between the Old Testament and, and Jesus, in fact, even during that time, there were a lot of uh, people that had come along and, and given through legends and stories and, and teachings, they had elevated angels to a position that angels were never supposed to be in. They gave names to angels that they knew nothing about. They, 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 they in many times worshipped these angels. And that wasn't everybody, but it had begun to take place. And in Hebrews chapter 1, he doesn't spend his time bashing angels. He spends his time talking about how wonderful these angels are that God has created, but how much greater Jesus is than the angels. And really, if you read into it, you'll find out that, that you have a higher place as a believer than even angels do. But in Hebrews chapter 1, he talks to you about these angels. He talks to you about the old and, and the new. And he, we're going to start in verse 1. He says, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, 
has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. There's a lot packed in those two verses. You see the contrast. He said, long ago, God spoke to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways. Now he has spoken in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So before he spoke to the fathers, now he's speaking to us. Before he spoke in the prophets, now he's speaking through his son. Before he spoke in many different ways in many different portions. Now he's spoken, he's spoken through Jesus and Jesus has said it all. And then he says, Jesus has been appointed heir of all things through whom he made the world. So, so look at this. He's, he's, he's not just saying that Jesus somehow became the heir of all things, but, but had no place before. There's something that happened when Jesus came to the earth. There's something that happened when he won his victory at the cross. However, Jesus has always had the right because he, through him, everything was created. So Jesus didn't start existing when Mary had a baby. Jesus was in existence before the beginning of the world. That's right. Come on. This is one of the differences between us and, say, the Mormons. Or us and some other, other teachings is as, as believers, as Christians, we believe that what the scripture says, that Jesus is just as much God as the Father, that they've been together, that they are one. And Jesus, the world was created through him. Now he has been appointed heir of all things. That means everything now is his. And he is the radiance of his glory. So Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Wow, we could spend a lot of time on that. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you guys know that the reason he sat down was because his work was finally done. He could sit. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You've loved righteousness. You've hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And we're going to stop there for a minute. And I want you to hear something that he said earlier. He said that Jesus inherited a name greater than they. He says he has become greater than them. If you were to read on in this chapter, you'd find out that he for a little while became lower than the angels. But now he's been exalted. When he says he's inherited a name greater than they, you know that's not just a cool sound that people call and he comes running. When it says he inherited a name, it's talking about his rank. It's talking about his place. It's talking about his right. It's talking about his inheritance. And sure, you can say, well, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's the son of God. Absolutely, that's part of it. But there's something else to it because the, the, the writer here, and we're going to read a verse in Philippians that backs this up, tells us that, something has, that his name has become even greater since he came and won that victory on the cross. 
As you know, God created the heavens and the earth. Even in the Old Testament, he says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of thereof. Everything that the earth produces is God's. All the gold, he says, all the gold and all the silver are mine. You guys can pretend like it's yours. You can act like it's yours. You can hoard it like it's yours, but it's mine. God has said that from the beginning. But there's something that happened when God gave dominion to mankind. And he trusted Adam with this naming of the animals, with the, with the tilling of the ground, that Adam had some degree of authority bestowed on him by God. In fact, you might not think of it now, but, but in their culture, in, 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 in Bible times, when you named something, that was significant. When you had the right to name something, that meant you owned it. That, that meant that you had dominion over it. If you had the right to give something to a name, that meant you, had, that you were over that thing. And so God could have named all the animals and said, Adam, this is giraffe. Adam, this is hippopotamus. But he didn't. The Bible says that God let Adam name the animals. Why? Because God gave the stewardship of those animals. He gave the ownership to Adam. Did God still own all of it? Yes, but he has now bestowed that right, that dominion upon Adam. He says, he says have dominion over the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue it. Of course, you know the story. Adam and Eve, they gave that up. They sold it out. We gave up our rights. And when Jesus came back, he won something back. He won that dominion back. He won that, that right back. He took back the keys of death. Because the scripture says that death came in the world through sin. Through one man, the Bible says, death came into the world. Yes. Through one man, death came in it. But through one man, those keys were taken back. The victory was taken. In Philippians 2, it says this. Philippians 2 says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Literally means a slave. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a huge verse, a huge section of scripture. Now listen, his name was Jesus from the time he was a baby. Isn't that right? And yet the scripture here says it was after he became obedient, went to that cross, suffered that death that we deserved, won his rightful victory that God gave him a name that was above every name. It's not saying that God all of a sudden started calling him Jesus. He had already been called Jesus. When we say God gave him a name, we're not talking just simply about those letters put together. We're talking about the authority and the rightful place that God gave him, that he was exalted. The Greek literally means he was super exalted. That's right. 
above all things. He went to the lowest of the low, and then he was exalted to the highest of the high. And we're not talking about altitude. We're talking about position. We're talking about rank. We're talking about authority. This is all his that he has. I want you to know that name that you've been entrusted with was dearly bought. It was purchased with his own blood. It was the victory that he won. He won the right to be called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He won the right to say, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then what does he do? He turns around and says, now you can use and you can speak in my name and pray in my name and walk in my name. Sometimes we just don't realize how big that is. The name of Jesus is all about the fact that he won a victory that put him, put him above all things, that he was already above all things. But there was even something greater when he came and became like us. And he died on that cross and he rose again. God gave him a name above every name. Every authority, every dominion, every evil spirit, every human, every disease, everything has to bow to the name of Jesus, not because it's a cool sounding name, but because he won the right. He purchased the right. He, through his victory, God bestowed on him the authority above all things. And then he says, hey guys, go ahead and pray and use my authority. Use my name. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me think twice about how I use the name of Jesus. How I pray in the name of Jesus. How many times have I prayed over my food and not even thought of what I was praying? And threw the name of Jesus at the end of it because it was a habit to do so. When I realize what it took for him to earn the right for that name to have the power it has, how can I use it so flippantly? How can I speak it so flippantly? The Old Testament said, don't use the name of the Lord in vain. Now we, when we apply that, we just apply that to people cursing. They stub their toe and they beep, 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 and they say, they say his name. But what does vain mean? It means without power, useless. I don't mean to bug you today. Maybe I do. But perhaps when you've just flippantly said words and prayers and not even thought about what you were saying and threw the name of Jesus on because it was habit, perhaps you're using the name of the Lord in vain. Now you can get condemned about it or you can fix it. The point of this isn't so you go home and go, I'm never using the name again. No. So that you know what you're saying when you say it. You know what you're praying when you pray it, when you pray and you say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. God is hearing you as if his son, his own son is speaking to him and he's made you his son. He's made you his daughter, but he is listening as if Jesus is praying that prayer and you better think twice about what you're praying Come on because it matters. His inheritance was that name. That's not cheap. It's not something that he just was, was given because, you know, it sounded good. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was without any, any meaning. And the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts tried to cast out an evil spirit, and they used the name of Jesus like a new spell. And what happened when they did? The demons rose up, said, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? Threw those guys out of the house. 
That name had no authority over those demons because it was just a sound. They had no right to the authority of Jesus Christ. They had no understanding of what it meant. If you knew the power that was contained in his name, you'd pray with such confidence. You would speak with such boldness. You would walk with such reliance on his strength. If we knew the authority of that name, we would never, ever doubt whether our prayer was being heard or whether our prayer was going to be answered. But we've often profaned the name of the Lord. We've said, my prayers weren't answered. This didn't happen. And the reason was, maybe you didn't. Maybe you weren't even thinking about what you're praying. Maybe you didn't even ask him what his will was. And you just use his name flippantly. In vain. Like I said, today the point isn't so that you go home scared to use the name of Jesus. It's so that you use it with more understanding of the power of the name of Jesus. That when you pray in his name, when you walk in his name, when you speak in his name, when you cast out evil spirits in his name, when you lay hands on the sick in his name, when you speak with other tongues in his name, that there is an authority that goes with it. And that you value it more than you valued anything in your life because it was dearly purchased. He inherited a greater name than the angels. Because of his obedience, God gave him a name that was above every name. That at, At that name, every knee would bow. At that name, every knee would bow. Scripture says in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart... Let's read it because I want you to see it for yourself. Ephesians chapter 1. Come on, guys. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Listen to this. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection. Listen to this. All things in the subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen to how he says it. That he put all names, every name that is named under his dominion, under his authority. The Bible says it's under his feet. And we've made this point plenty of times. But bear with me as I make it again. Every name that's named. Now see, to us, we go, okay, well, what name is that? Every name, it's got a name, it's... But you, you understand that in the Bible, when he says every name that's named, we're talking about things that, that have a degree of authority. We're talking about, about titles here. Okay, so Queen Elizabeth, her name is Elizabeth, right? But her name is also Elizabeth Regina, which means Elizabeth the Queen. And that, that means something. She not only has a name that her mother gave her, she has a title. 
That title is as ruler. Now, it barely means anything anymore, right? I don't know when the last time you guys said, uh, well, you know what? I don't know if Canada is going to do this or do that. It all depends on what the queen had for breakfast. That really doesn't matter anymore, does it? Her face is on our money, but it's just a symbolic thing, mostly. Until the governor general decides to prorogue the... Anyways. Um, It's mostly symbolic, but in reality, throughout history... When someone was given a name, it it, it indicated their authority, their place, their title, their rank. Jesus has his name above all these other names that claim authority. His name's above them all. That's why he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But then he says this. He's put all things in subjection under his feet. And, And the simple, if you just connect the dots, you'll see this. Everything is under his feet. Then he calls you. He's the head. You're the body. And he says, he gave all these things to you. The feet are the lowest part of the body. Isn't that right? So if everything that is named is under his feet, it's under his body as well. Now, we don't act like that half the time. There's so many times we forget that we have any degree of authority over all these things, that there's any place for us, that there's any reason for us to to believe that we we could speak to something and it would have to listen. That I, I, could, I could speak to the powers of darkness and they'd have to listen to me. And we, we, we try to get humble at this point, and it's a false humility. But we say, well, they're not, the, why would they listen to me? Or, Who am I? Well, you're, you're nothing in your own self. But you're not coming as yourself. You're coming as his son, his daughter, and his representative. You know, if you're out on the highway... And an RCMP officer steps out into the road and puts his hand up like this. Now, they don't do that in the wintertime. They they step safely to the side. But imagine he steps out in the road and he puts his hand like this. May I ask you, is there a force field coming from his hand that is stopping your car? (laughs) And, you know, the RCMP go through deep training, learning how to control the force to stop. No, there's nothing. He may stick his hand out, but if you keep driving, uh uh-oh. But he has authority to pull you over. And it's also not because he's such a strong guy. If you don't listen, he'll hunt you down. He'll find you and find your family. You're listening to that guy. You don't know his name. I I mean, I don't know. When's the last time you've been pulled over by somebody and you rolled the window down and you knew the guy? Maybe sometimes in a place like Lloydminster. But most of the time you don't know who this person is. You're not saying, oh, he's a strong guy. I better listen to him. I, I've seen him bench press. Uh, I better listen to him. But, but that guy, maybe not so much. No, you pull over whether you know who they are or not because they represent something bigger. And when that man tells you to stop, it's not him that's telling you to stop. It's a, represent, it's a representative of the RCMP that's telling you to stop. And the RCMP bears the weight of the government. They bear the weight of the law. And when they tell you to stop, you're listening to government. You're listening to somebody who has a lot more power. So when demons listen to you, it's not you. But there is an authority you carry. So what if that RCMP officer steps out into the road and says, I don't know. Who's going to listen to me? I mean, maybe if I tell them to pull over, maybe they will, maybe they won't. You know what? I got I to gotta, I gotta get my sergeant in here. I got to get somebody who's got a little bit more authority because I, I just don't trust myself. I'm mixing American and Canadian police, I know. But, but in this, he's not, he's not worrying about whether or not you think he's a powerful figure. The point is, 
He has the right to pull you over because the RCMP has the right to pull you over. Believers, Jesus said, do this in my name. He's not telling you, you know, so, you know, just walk through it, get tough enough that maybe someday you can beat some of these spirits. That maybe someday your prayers will be big enough and strong enough that you'll do something with it. He says, even to the least believer, even to the smallest, youngest believer, when you pray in my name, I'll do this. Ask anything in my name, he says. Ask anything in my name and I'll do it. My father will do it. Can you imagine That seems like such a blank check. And the reason that half the people in Christianity, if not more, don't really believe that verse. I mean, they would never tell you if you asked them that they don't believe it. But in reality, they don't believe that. The reason is, is because we don't understand what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. We think it just means pray a prayer, slap the name of Jesus at the end of it. You're praying in the name of Jesus. That's using the name of Jesus like a spell. Praying in the name of Jesus means praying as his representative. That's why the scripture says in 1 John, if we ask anything, it says, if we ask anything according to the will of God, according to his will, he hears us. Why is it important that it's according to his will? Because you're asking in his name as if he were praying. You better be in line with what he wants says, if I don't, why am I expecting that God is hearing my prayer when I'm not even caring what God's will is in the matter? So if you say, well, I don't know God's will. I never know God's will. Well, this is why the scripture says, first and foremost, that, that his will has been revealed through his word. And if you know his word, there's some things you just simply know his will. I know his will is always that the demon oppressed go free. I know his will is always that, that, that somebody would be saved, that the eyes, that their eyes would be open to the light of the gospel. I know I can pray that confidently. But when I don't know the will of God, what does Romans 8 say? It says, when you don't know how to pray, you pray in the Spirit. And the Spirit knows the perfect will of God and prays out the perfect will of God. Right? There are times I don't know what to pray. You know, these are the things you can do. If you don't know what God's will is, first of all, check your Bible. Second of all, ask Him. Third, pray in the Holy Spirit. I mean, see, if you haven't asked God whether it's his will that you move to Edmonton or not, how can you confidently pray that he gets you a house in Edmonton? So what do people end up praying? Well, I don't know if I'm, if he wants me to get a house, I'll, maybe something will just pop up. Well, that's kind of a case or all way to live. But I'll tell you, if the Apostle Paul had thought like that, if he had thought, well, if I'm supposed to preach there, people will just let me preach there. If I'm not supposed to preach there, maybe God will make it real hard and I won't want to go there. He always would have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's right. Because the places God sent him were the places it was hard. Yeah. And the places he wanted to go and it would have been easy, the spirit of Jesus told him, don't go there. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes it was easy. Sometimes it, so you can't use that as a, as a judge. If he had judged the will of God based on the circumstances, he never would have known the will of God. How did he know whether he was supposed to preach there or whether he wasn't? It was the Holy Spirit that told him. So when we walk out the authority of Jesus Christ, we've got to be confident in the will of God so that we can say, I am truly acting in the name of Jesus. We've gone a little bit off, but let's get back. That precious name, 
that, that kingship and lordship over all things was bestowed on him because of his great victory and because of his great obedience. Jesus won the right to be called forever <coughs> the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He forever won the right to reign and to rule. He was given that name. He won the right for every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he is Lord. And when you realize how valuable that is, how will you pray? How will you say his name? Understanding that when you pray in the name of Jesus, there is such great power in that name. I'll tell you what changes with me. Never again, I, hope, I pray, <laughs> never again will I just rattle off in the name of Jesus without really knowing why I'm saying it. Does that mean I'll say it less? Maybe here and there. I don't think it'll mean it say, I say it less. It means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about what I'm saying. Whether it's blessing the food or praying for somebody that needs your help, when you say in the name of Jesus, I want you to consider that you are now invoking a name that cost him his life. Invoking a name that he inherited from the Father that seems like it is, this is the center of all history. Invoking a name which is above every name. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that when you pray, all of this has to happen? Because Jesus is asking for it to happen. When you pray in the name of Jesus, do you consider that that is the same to God as if Jesus himself sat on that chair and prayed that prayer? And it changes the way we pray and it changes the way we believe. He's greater than the angels because he inherited a greater name. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above all names. God put all things, every name that is named under his feet. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I want us as a people, I want us as a body, I want us as a family to begin to embrace the name of Jesus as our highest inheritance, as our highest treasure. Jesus left you with a role to play and he gave you his credit card to get it done. I know that almost cheapens it. But Jesus said, here, use my name. We used to, when I used to work at Versus, um, uh, Bonnie, who had I worked with, she was a very gifted decorator and, and uh, Ray Nelson had asked her to basically pick out all the artwork for the hymn stock or most of it. So if you go through the hymn stock right now, you see pictures with scriptures on them, things like that. That, was, that came from, a store, from the store. And Ray Nelson, basically, you know, this guy had a lot of money. Most of you know Mr. Nelson at, when he was alive. He could probably have whatever he wanted, right? We had a name named after the guy. The guy got a highway named after him. Yeah. Now, I don't know which one of us, when's the last time you ever said, take the Ray Nelson to Edmonton? No one thinks like that. But, but he does, you know, he, he was, had a pretty high position in this city. And he had a lot of money. 
But he said, Bonnie, I want you to decorate. I want you to pick out all of this. So when Bonnie went around, she picked out the art. She decorated this. She decorated that. Though she was Bonnie Lowen, and that was her name, and that was her place, and she knew who she was, and she knew the job she had, when she was picking out artwork, she might as well have been Ray Nelson. And she didn't, she didn't have to go on the budget of Bonnie Lowen. It wasn't Bonnie Lowen's budget that was stocking the hymn stock. It wasn't Bonnie Lowen's budget that was picking out artwork. It was Ray Nelson's budget that was picking out artwork. So when she walked out, she was using someone else's name because she had the right to use that name. Now, Bonnie Lowen could not go. Bonnie couldn't go and um, just, you know, all of a sudden say, well, I think I'm going to buy some land with that name. (laughs) Ray Nelson said, pick out artwork for the Hemstock. So I need land west of... 75th, it's mine now. I'm using that name. I'm bequeathing it to me. He, she couldn't do that. She wasn't given the right to do that. Right. But you better believe when she walked out and she said, I'm going to go purchase art. She didn't, she didn't do, it, do it quivering. She didn't do it trembling. She confidently walked up to that counter, purchased what she needed to purchase because she was using someone else's name who had a lot more money than she had. Yeah. Now, I say all this to say this, and I hope that Bonnie was okay with me using her name. And I'm sure Ray doesn't care he's with Jesus. But when's the last time you walked into a situation and you said, I have every right to take authority in this situation. I have every right to tell the evil spirits to leave. I have every right to speak to sickness. I have every right to speak to darkness. I have every right to speak to every principality and power and address them in the name of Jesus because I am here on his behalf. I'm an ambassador. I'm not here for me. I'm here as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And I've been put in the Lloydminster Consulate of the Kingdom of Heaven as an ambassador with full, full plenipotentiary rights. I am, I have the right to use this. When's the last time you prayed that way? When's the last time you talked that way? Some of you, some of you, that's part of your life. But I want you to know that it's changed two things in my life. And I'll close with this thought. Viewing the name of Jesus has changed two things like this in my life. Number one. I value it as way more precious than I ever did before. So I don't use it lightly. And number two, I value it as more powerful than I ever did before. So I don't use it cowardly or fearfully. Now, I'm still growing in that area. And there are times I'll catch myself. There's times where I've prayed with a sense of double-mindedness. And it's okay, guys, it's okay to say, God, I don't know your will so your will be done. In fact, the scripture encourages that. There are times where you don't know, so pray in the spirit. But when you know the will of the Lord, be confident in the name of Jesus and understand that he gave you the right and that right that he earned to be called the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all those things was purchased with his own sacrifice, was bestowed on him by the Father, was something that was more dearly won than anything we could ever imagine. So don't use it lightly. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means and what's our role and how do, we, how do we really walk in the authority of Jesus Christ? What do I have authority of? What does that mean? What's my part to play? But before we did all that, I wanted us just to begin
with a broad view of what the name of Jesus really means. Guys, it's not about a sound you make. It's not a bunch of letters put together that make a name. It's who he is. It's his rank. It's his authority. It's his place. It's his position. And you've been given a place in his name. And you've been given a position in the kingdom of God. And he bestowed on you the right to be called the children of God. He bestowed on you the right to pray in his name. People in the Old Testament prayed to God. This is not the first time anybody had the right to pray. You've always had the right to pray. But now you pray with an authority that goes so far beyond what you ever could have prayed before. And it matters. And I want you to view it as the most precious thing God could have given you. Today, when you sit before your meal and your food's right in front of you and you can't wait to eat and you're hungry, the kids are making noise and they've already started to put potatoes on their face, before you just rattle off something you've always said, I want you to think, if I'm going to use his name, I better know why I'm using it. So should you use his name when you're praying over your food? Absolutely you should. Right? Why not? Absolutely. But when you do, you are binding that to his name. You are using his authority to bless your food. Well, how do you know you have authority to bless your food? It's all over the scripture. Old and New Testament, right? When you give thanks for it, do just what Jesus said. If you really want to use, uh, this this is just, I said I was closing it, just a minute. If you really want to know that you're, properly praying or walking in the name of Jesus, here's a simple, simple rule. At, at any time you can, just do what Jesus did. I know that's really simple, isn't it? Just do what Jesus did. See, if I'm not sure, how should I walk in his name? Just do what he did. Watch what he did when there was somebody sick. Watch what he did when there was someone possessed by evil spirits. Watch what he did when he blessed the food. What did he do? He gave thanks for it, and then he blessed it. So if you're wondering, well, how should I pray? Now I'm nervous. Pastor, you made me nervous. And I don't know. I don't want to let somebody else at the table pray because now I'm really nervous about it. Just do this. Give thanks and bless it. And you can confidently know that that's what Jesus wants you to do because that's what he did. When he had the loaves and the fish, he gave thanks. He blessed it. When he had the last supper, he gave thanks and he blessed it. Just do what Jesus did. I believe there's a whole lot out there that the church of Jesus Christ has rarely walked into because we didn't know we had the right to. There's a whole lot of things we never took hold of because we didn't know we had the right to take hold of them or the responsibility to take hold. We've said, if God wanted me to, I would already be walking in it. If God wanted me to have it, I'd have it. And yet, the scripture seems to draw a different picture. A picture of Jesus saying, I've put this in your hands. Now, what will you do? Will you be like the man who says, if you've given my hands to invest, I'll invest? Or will you be like the man who's so afraid that he buries his talent in the ground and he says, I just didn't want to mess it up too badly? It's going to take some believers knowing who their father is and walking it out. I believe that in the name of Jesus, 
there is victory. I believe that in the name of Jesus, there is power. I believe that in the name of Jesus, there is all that he has. When he gave you his name, he gave you in his inheritance. Yes, yes. Today, I believe that that's ours for the taking. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. Let's stand up and we're going to pray today.